0: Tonight. Father, we love you and we come before you this uh, first service of the new year just to say that we humbly place ourselves in your care. You're, you're so loving. You're so kind. and We want to grow this year. We want to grow to become more like Jesus, more like Jesus than ever before. Would you help us with that? We know you will. So thankful for every person that's here tonight, every person that's listening to this podcast in the future. I thank you, Father, that you are taking care of every detail of their lives and you are revealing yourself to a greater degree. In their lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, you know, love God, love people is a pretty common saying in our church culture. You've heard it before. It's actually actually very biblical, scriptural. But, you know, even though it's this common mantra that's proclaimed by the, by the church, love God, love people, love God, love people, um, you know, sometimes you can tell religious people to love God, and they can go out and kill people. Ask the Apostle Paul. He thought he was loving God, didn't he? And there's a lot of things that we see in the church in the name of loving God that really has nothing to do with loving God. Loving God and loving people requires that we love extravagantly. And I want to talk about that tonight. I want to talk about the restoration of the message of love that is coming into the church. I believe it with all my heart. In fact, we're gonna be talking about some things that are being restored to the church. I don't, I don't think that we need some kind of major reformation. I don't think we need some kind of major revival. I think we need some earlier thoughts from the first century church transferred into and brought back into and reconciled in our own hearts. These people knew how to love well. Loving well was the command that they followed, and they got that from Jesus, you know, in Antioch in, in 30 A.D., this is where people were first called Christians. They had never been called Christians before that. And the people in Antioch, they had to have some kind of box to put these people in. And they're like, who are these people? They're so extravagantly loving. They're so joyful. They're patient. They're kind. Who are these people? Well, someone figured it out. Well, they're, they're like that, that Christ that, you know, we heard about in, in Judea. Where they're like that, that man named Jesus. That's who they're like. And so this is where the name Christian came from, right? But I can tell you today, there's a lot of people proclaiming the moniker Christian that are not acting like Jesus, and I don't know that they're really genuinely following him. Do you know what I'm talking about? The kind of things that happen in the name of Christianity today run the gamut from extravagant love to picking sides for a candidate and putting all your hope in who's going to be the next president. It, It can be... It can run the gamut from extreme joy and peace and taking care of one another well to telling other people that they are not in the fold. They are not followers of Jesus. We think we can judge and pick and choose who's in and who's out. Well, Jesus doesn't work that way. How can what happened in Adam be universal but what happened in Christ be limited? It's not. I got news for you. It's not. It's so much further extravagantly eclipsing what Adam, what happened in Adam, that I think we're going to be amazed. We're going to be absolutely amazed as we get into this new year and begin to grow and understand the things that are being restored to the church. And I'm, I'm not trying to hype up some kind of prophetic first service of the new year thing. I just desire it so much, and I've seen it and experienced it in my own life. The things I used to believe about God, I'm embarrassed about. A God that would strike someone dead or pour out his wrath. No, we have a God who went to the, the links of death. He entered into death on our behalf. And the first thing I think that's being restored and needs to be restored in all of us individually and corporately is this extravagant love that God has poured out. The cruciform, co-suffering love that we see through Jesus on the cross. And, and here's the key. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He was not pouring out his wrath on his kid. We need to change our thinking about that lie that has been per- per- perpetrated in the church. But one thing I love about, about the, uh, the season that we're in, and we're still in this season. You know, we're, uh, did we, have we hit Epiphany yet? Epiphany's on, what, the 12th? You know, If you go back to the church calendar, Christmas season was a little longer than just our Christmas season. But I love this quote from uh, Hamilton Wright, maybe. It said, blessed is the season which engages the whole world in a conspiracy of hope. Blessed is the season that engages the whole world in a conspiracy of, or excuse me, a conspiracy of love. We were uh, we're just coming out of this Christmas season and you can kind of feel it, can't you? It's like there's just a there's a greater capacity for people to be loving and to be kind. I don't know, maybe you encountered something different, but during the Christmas season, it just seems like people like exhale and and come to a place of like, well, maybe we can get along for a few weeks. And I call, she calls this the conspiracy of love, and I love that. John 3.16, you guys know this verse. I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. For here is the way God loved the world. I'm so sorry we don't have a screen because I know some of you are visual learners. But listen up. Here is the way God loved the world. He gave his only unique son as a gift, so now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. I love verse 17. It, it rarely gets read. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. You know, if you are experiencing condemnation, guilt, shame in your pursuit of spiritual growth, you're pursuing the wrong things. God is not, the spirit is not, Jesus is not the voice of condemnation and shame and guilt. God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save it. We see this from so many people in Scripture. So many different voices are saying this exact same thing. Paul said it this way, the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I find this so interesting because Jesus, when he was asked about the greatest commandment, we all know what he said, right? It's in Matthew 22. Teacher, he was asked, what's the the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus said this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But listen to this. The second is equally important. Not it's the second one. It's equally important as the first one. So Jesus is explaining to this guy, and it's like, hey, hey, good job, man. You, You got it right. Yeah, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. However, there's a second that's equal to it. This is a place where Jesus was deepening the meaning of Old Testament scripture. He was flipping the script a little bit, and he was saying, hey, yeah, but you know what, there's something else to this. Because, uh, you know, the religious rulers and leaders of this day uh, think they're loving God by imposing burdens on people that are impossible for them to carry. They think that's loving God. And they couldn't be further from the truth. So this is why Jesus said, hey, this second one is equal to the first. I see it as almost like two sides of a coin. It's absolutely the same status with loving God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Peter reiterates this in his letter. He said, most important of all, we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Wow. Let's just meditate on that for a little while. John said it in his letter, 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love each other. Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love, he says, remains in death. Oh, I read that as Peter. Sorry, that was John. Here's Peter's. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. I'm just, the point of this is I'm, I'm giving you all these different voices that are saying the exact same thing. It all comes down to love, to loving well. I mean, what are you going to do? With First John, when he declares, "Anyone who loves knows God." You know, I have a great neighborhood. I've lived there twenty years, over twenty years now, and we love our neighbors. In fact, today I was spending the entire day helping a neighbor. Um, this is going to sound weird, but um, his son-in-law, who I did their wedding ceremony, um, his daughter was four when we first moved to to Charlotte. She's a beautiful girl, Olivia. And uh, she got married to this guy, Travis. Well, Travis is uh, a guy that has a jellyfish business. Yes, a jellyfish business. And we moved uh, stuff out of his old jellyfish warehouse into his new jellyfish warehouse. Um, it's, it's absolutely intriguing. If you want to hear the rest of the story, I can tell you. But all it takes is a phone call or a text. We've got a chat group. And when someone needs help in our neighborhood, man, there's at least like six people ready to help. When my, when my father-in-law passed... Um, you know, it, it, was, it was hard. It was traumatic. And the church, you guys, wanted to rise up and say, hey, we want to provide, provide meals for you. We want to take care of you. And, and many of you did, but we were like, well, hold off for a bit because our neighborhood is taking care of us for probably the next two months. That's amazing. I've learned things about loving people well from neighbors who do not profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. But right there in John, he said, anyone who loves knows God. How important is this life of love? Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister who they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love brother and sister. See, now, we take this in the church world and we apply it to, well, it's only to fellow Christians, you know? That, that's the only ones that count. It's the insiders. We've got to get out of this insider-outsider mentality. Everyone is an insider, and they are either awake to that or asleep to that. And love is what wakes people up to the reality of Christ in them, the hope of glory. It wakes them up to righteousness. Love is waking people up to the reality of who Jesus is. That was God that showed up. He became one of us to rescue all, us, all of us, full of the Spirit. This this Trinitarian love dance nature of God has never, ever been separated. And yet we come up with theologies of separation. We come up with reasons why we don't have to love that person, but we do have to love that person. I just want to plant this seed at the beginning of the year that hopefully simplifies your spiritual journey. And we're all on this different spiritual journey. We're like, like Pilgrim's Progress, man. I mean, it's just like, We're at different places along the road, and that's fine. We want to help each other along that path. But I just want to plant that seed that, man, it could really simplify my life if all I had to focus on was loving well. If all I had to focus on was loving well. And you know what? That's that's a tall task. You can't do that without love himself animating everything about you. James also said it this way. He said, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, and then he gives it, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. That's good news. I, I like that for, for my simple thinking. You're doing right if you just keep this royal law of Scripture. I think, I think I want to show you something, though, that has happened in all those Scriptures that I read. Jesus himself did this. Um, later on, after that encounter with the, the person that gave him the question, you know, what's the greatest law? What's the greatest commandment? And he answered correctly. Jesus added the second one. He said, no, this is equally important. From that point on, Jesus, any writer in the New Testament, never spoke love God again. You're like, oh, heresy. They they implied it. They talked about loving God. No, they only talked about it in context of loving one another. Jesus himself did it in John 13, 35. He said, a new commandment I give unto you, love one another the way that I have loved you. By this all will know you are my followers. He never said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why is that? Because we show our love for God by loving others. There is no other way. I've asked this question to a lot of people. Hey, how do you love God? And mostly the answer I get is obedience. I'm like, oh, cool, yeah, obedience to what? "Uh, Well, obedience to the Bible? Oh, which part? Like, what are you obeying? Like, what things are you obeying? What what are you doing? What, What does obedience look like to you? And there's all kinds of comments about it. Well, uh, not smoking, um, like being kind. Yeah, good, good, good. All these, all these outside things they talk about. When the one thing is loving well. How well are you loving? I think is going to be. That's the only question that God's ever going to ask us. Hey, how well are you loving? How well? How are you doing on loving people well? See. Th- the other side to this is you cannot have the capacity to love people well if you don't love yourself well. And I think I think we I think the world has actually come around to some great um, some great theology around the self care that we've been talking about. I mean, the mental health epidemic in our world is just crazy. Why is that? Because I don't think people love themselves. So. Uh, Major focus for you this year that I, I believe you should pursue with all of your heart, with all of your faith. You know, I used to think faith was uh, like a muscle or a gas tank. I grew up in the word of faith culture, and it was like, hey, man, you either have weak faith or strong faith, and you need to, there's only one way to get faith, read this. The more you read this, the more faith you're going to get. And, and I don't discount that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for my rich history in the scriptures and in growing and understanding Uh, who about who Jesus is but it's not a fuel tank if your faith faith isn't like empty or full it's it's not a muscle your faith isn't either weak or strong your faith is a seed it's one seed you got one seed this faith that has been given to you And, and let's you know, I can make an argument for the, it's actually the faith of Jesus Christ, that we live by the faith of the Son of God, God who loved us and gave himself for us. So quit focusing on measuring your moral muscle. Quit focusing on measuring, how much faith do I have? Do I have enough faith for this? i got to have more faith. No. Plant your faith firmly in how loved you are by God. Firmly in the soil of the heart of God's love for you. To me now, faith, faith comes back to this one thing. How loved am I? And I want my next thought about how good God is to be better than the next thought of how good God is. And the next thought and the next thought. Because it just keeps getting better. But it focuses in on you believing how loved you are. I know that's, that's difficult for a lot of people. Kind of kind of going off script here, but I've got to tell you there's something that changed my life forever. And that was in John chapter 17 when Jesus prayed with his disciples in the garden. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm no longer praying for these that can hear me. You can read it for yourself in whatever translation. John 17, he says, I'm not praying for these that can hear me. So right, right, right away I perk up, like, well, well who is he praying for? He, say, he said, I'm praying for those who will believe on me through your word, through their word, the disciples. Well, guess who he's praying for? You and me. Go down the long line of history about why we believe things about Jesus is because those original disciples were witnesses to his death, burial, and resurrection. So he's praying for me now. Oh, man, what is he praying? He goes on to pray that we would be one, Father, even as you and I are one, that this oneness would permeate everything. And that's great. And most people kind of stick with that because, you know, as churches, man, we need to be one, we need to be together, and, We need to be unified in the body of Christ. They kind of keep it still just in that context of, you know, people that say they follow Jesus. But he went on to say this. He said, and Father, I believe that they will come to understand and know that you love them as much as you love me. Okay. When I have a hard time believing how loved I am, when I have a hard time because I'm, I'm entertaining just the shame or the guilt or the fear or the inadequacies. I go back to that, and I'm like, okay, well, I may not be able to believe how much you love me right now, but at least I can believe that Jesus' prayer is being answered. I mean, for me, it's like, if anybody's prayer is going to be answered, Jesus' prayer is going to be answered, right? Well, why not that one? Why not you, believing that you are loved by the Father as much as he loves Jesus? These are things we need to meditate on. and we, we need our minds to be renewed to the massive, amazing freedom that comes by believing how loved you are. You want to grow your faith? Plant it 100% in the fact that you're loved by the Father. Um, I believe that relationship is our religion. You know, when you tell religious people to love God, uh, they don't often get on to actually loving people. Um, think about Paul, his attempt to love God by hurting others, by killing others. He seriously thought he was loving God. And then he had a collision with grace, and he recognized who Jesus was. See, this is my prayer for everybody, not just in this room, but everybody you guys encounter this year, that they would have a collision with grace because they have an encounter with you. And come to understand who Jesus Really is. Here's the point, and it's super simple. God is love. Not God has love. God is love. John grabbed a hold of this in his gospel. You know, he John wrote his gospel probably quite a bit later than the others, and um, he probably had the opportunity to have read those other gospels. And so he didn't, he didn't want to take the same track of, like, just giving all the facts and, and kind of the eyewitness report. Man, he went way deeper. And that's why he starts his gospel off with in the beginning. He's taking people back to Genesis. And he's saying, no, 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 not, not that beginning. In the beginning before the beginning. And he talks about this relationship that the Father and the Word and the Spirit had, this amazing, loving relationship. You know, you can't have... Love without an object of love. God is not isolated and alone. And this word, John says, became flesh. Jesus, born of a woman, became human, became one of us to rescue all of us. This is the extravagant love that I'm talking about. No, no creator becomes his creation. Every other religion that demands that you do something to get to your God. Our God got to us. Can, can you just like feel the relax that happens when you hear that? Our God got to us. There's no, there's no trying. There's no, no earning. There's no striving. There's just receiving. It's the gift of grace. God is love. Um, faith is not your religion or your belief system. It's where you put your trust. And once again, I want you to put your trust 100% in how loved you are by God. See, you don't need to be so concerned if you're loving God enough. Just love people. <laughs> quit, quit being concerned with how well you're loving God. God's like, yeah, okay, I, I love you too, but like, could you get on with loving some other people? Come on. Let's let's expand my kingdom. You know, let's let's grow this kingdom of love. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Jesus said that in John chapter 14. Well, once again, I'm repeating myself, but I'm doing it deliberately. Why do we have This obsession with rules and commandments. Why do we have this obsession with measuring up, following all the rules, and doing all the right things? Loving well is the right thing. It is obeying the commandment. It's not new, though, either. It's also found in Leviticus. But It's interesting that Jesus, when he quoted that, I've already said it, John chapter 13, when he said, I'm giving you a new commandment, Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my followers. That actually comes from a script in Genesis. But he skipped the love God part. He skipped it. Why is that? Well, that was God telling us what this one commandment will produce. Hey, this is the fulfillment of all, all, all the old. This is the fulfillment of all the things that you thought you had to do to follow the rules to be made right with me. I made you right with me. Now get out there and love people well. It's really that simple. So who do we love? Just a couple of ideas here tonight before we, we wrap it up. Um, we Number one, need to love self. Loving self is primary before loving others. You will never love others to a greater capacity than you have received the love of God for yourself. Um, our brothers and sisters in Christ called the saints, people who follow Jesus, people who gather together here on a Saturday night, family and friends who are followers of Jesus, we should love them, um, neighbors, we should love neighbors. You, sh- you should get to know your neighbors better this year. And, and not, don't, don't feel the pressure to try and get them saved. Oh, please don't. Please don't. I'm telling you, the problem that we're seeing with the exodus out of the evangelical church right now, and it is massive, it is massive, is because we've hyper-focused on getting people saved instead of loving them well. We turned it into a multi-level marketing scheme. Hey, I'd like to invite you over for dinner, friend. You know? Come on over. And, and then you do, and, and then you, you start drawing the circles. You guys might be too young for that. You start presenting the plan, like, hey, how's your financial life going? I could, you know, help you with that. You know all the, all the multi-level marketing thing that went out there? This is the same tactic we've had in the church. And then when they say no, we're like, well, okay, we can't be friends. Sorry, you're not in. You're an outsider. I'm not too far from the truth here, am I? What if we flip the script? What if we just love because loving is the thing we're supposed to do and who we're called to be? And what if that loving drew people into asking questions about, man, what's different, you know? I've had so many great conversations with my neighbors, along these lines. So many amazing conversations, and there's zero pressure for me to say, well, what would happen if you died tonight? No, zero pressure. Just keep loving well, and when those questions begin to come about our faith, when people begin to ask you about your trust in Jesus, one of the things that I've been doing lately is not trying to prove it to them from scripture, First of all, most people don't think the Bible is an authority at all. They think it's a big book of myths. So don't lead with, well, you know what the Bible says. I'm sorry, it just it won't work. You can, you can, like, paraphrase. I do it all the time. You know, I'll, I'll paraphrase a verse, and they're like, well, that's really good. And I'm like, yeah, it's found in um, Proverbs chapter 3, verse four, 5 and 6. But I don't say that. Here's the thing. I've been telling people who are inquiring about my relationship with Jesus. Hey, tonight, before you go to sleep, before you lay your head on the pillow, just ask, Jesus, are you in there? Are you in there? Are you with me? See what happens. And just leave it at that. (laughs) Because I'm telling you, I've had many times where people have been like, man, I did that. And, like, I felt a presence. I felt like I was loved. I felt, you know, I felt like, tell me more, tell me more. This is the way we do it, folks. Baxter Kruger, who's, you know, become, becoming a bit of a friend, he has this story about when he was playing baseball as a kid. And, and, and the kid next to him, you know when you're in the line uh, and you're just playing catch, warming up, right? You got line here, line there, and you're playing catch with one another. Um, this kid next to him was just like so nervous, you know. And they're throwing the ball. He's like, "Man, what's up?" He goes, "Um, um." He goes, "Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior?" And Baxter's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Oh, whew. okay. Now we, now I can relax." It was under so much pressure. Have any of you ever felt that? Felt that pressure? Like, "Oh, I just got to get people saved." Let me relieve you of that pressure. Jesus saved them already. You just need to love them into a relationship with Jesus. All right. Here's another category that we're not too thrilled about, but enemies are to be loved. You know, love your enemies is still a thing. And um, if I asked you tonight even, who are your enemies? Would Would you be able to make up a list of all your enemies? There's people we think are our enemies. There's systems and... Politicians that we think are our enemies. But Jesus says what? Yeah, even them. Basically love everyone the most. Love everyone the most. So how do we love? I mean, obviously there's so many ways to love well. But just a few thoughts. Show God's love by listening. Be a good listener. Show God's love with generosity. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your life. Be generous with blessing people when they need it. People need help. Show God's love by encouraging one another. One thing I've been, been trying to do more in, at just the checkout lane at Target, or it's just to kind of engage in a little bit of a conversation to get to a place where I can say something about that person that calls the gold out in them. Just find something that lets them know how loved they are. We show God's love with acts of kindness. We, go show, we show God's love by praying for others. Um, I think it's a, it's a common thing to say, hey, I'll be praying for you, brother. You know? But then, like, actually pray for him. Take a little time. By the way, Kim uh, Harold is leading our prayer team. And, um, Kim, would you just raise your hand. Let everybody know where you are. Uh, you know, after service, we provide prayer. For anything that you need in your life, or if you need a word from God, if you need healing, we, I mean, we want to pray over you. Um, Kim is actually recruiting people to help join the prayer team. So if prayer is something that you really want to be engaged with and grow in and learn more about, um, talk to Kim after service. And, and we'd love to have you be a part of our prayer team and help pray over people um, that come to church on Saturday night. It is possible to show God's love to everyone. My little girl. Um, Caroline, she was four years old, not even four, I think she was three. Um, and being good word of faith people that we were, we would take, lead her on a confession every night. My wife Sarah led her in a confession every night. I'm the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. And I'm not discounting this. This is good. You should also do this. Have them speak over themselves the good things that are presented in the scriptures. I'm not discounting that at all. But one time they got through with, you know, their standard confessions, and, um, and sarah asked caroline do you want to add anything to this and she goes yeah and love everyone the most and i'm i'm something went off in us in sarah and i it was like speak to us again young prophet i may have even fallen out for a spell i don't know i don't remember whether in the body or out i don't know but whatever she said stuck with me love everyone the most. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we are to be and to do. And it's not earning any, you any extra credit in God's kingdom. It's not earning you any extra love from this extravagant love that comes from God. It's simply delivering the kingdom by loving everyone the most. Colossians says this, the mark, or excuse me, excuse me, for love is supreme And must flow through all these virtues. Let me me give you a little insight into what he was talking about there. Love is the diamond. All the facets of the diamond are different ways that love flows through. God is love. And, And when I say this, God is love. A lot of the pushback I get is like, well, he's also just. Okay, well, then talk to me about an unloving justice. What does that look like? Well, that looks like wrath and retribution. Loving justice looks like restoration and mercy. Well, well, he's also holy, and holiness, God can't, sin can't be in the presence of holiness. Such a lie. Why do we believe these lies? God chased Adam and Eve after the garden. I mean, if, if unholiness couldn't be in the presence of holiness or sin couldn't be in the presence of holiness, then they probably would have just fried up at that moment, right? But this is the vision that we have. No, let me tell you, let me tell you a, good, a better definition of holiness. Holiness is receiving grace from God for yourself. That's a holy moment. Think about the burning bush. Think about the moments in the Old Testament where God revealed himself. There was something that was received in that moment, a greater revelation of who God was. The ultimate revelation came through Jesus. But holiness is receiving grace, and then we, when we extend grace to others, that's also holiness. That's a holy moment. When you extend grace to someone, do you sense that? Do you feel that when grace is extended to you? Oh yeah, that's holiness. Here's the rest of the scripture. Love is supreme, must flow through all of these other virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. That's it. How do you know that you are growing and becoming more mature in your spiritual journey, in your walk with Jesus? Love is the mark of true maturity. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Don't let people who are supposed experts tell you differently. You know, I've I've been, uh, since we're doing Saturday nights now, I I literally don't know what to do with myself on Sunday. I wake up and I'm like, I'm supposed to be doing something. Just been doing it for so many years, you know. I'm actually kind of getting used to it. I mean, David Harold and I are in a bit of a conspiracy to keep it on Saturday night forever, so (laughs) just so you know. Uh, but I've been visiting churches. I've just been showing up at churches all over Charlotte. And um, there's a lot of good things going on out there. I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of people that are, I think, growing and understanding in, in this true gospel, which I also believe needs to be restored. The gospel needs to be restored. But I was at a church last Sunday, and, uh, man, it was a beautiful scene of the city of Charlotte. I'm not the diversity in this church. And I was shocked too, because I'm like, this is gonna be a lily white church based on what I think about it. I mean I just had that presupposed idea. And I go in there it's like, man, there's Indian folks in here. There's black and white and Asian. It's like holy cow this church is killing it. And there was this buzz, you know, before service. It was like life and energy and people talking, hanging out, people coming up to me, you know, because you're the new guy. And they know you're the new guy. Oh, hey, welcome, brother. How are you? So glad you're here. Which I revel in. I don't tell them what I do. I just like, hey, I live over there, and I'm just checking it out. And the moment the service started, that buzz and energy and life just went, "Hmm." That's interesting. I actually felt that. And then the message goes on, and it's such a mixture of law and grace. And there came a moment in the height of the sermon where the pastor was like, God is wrathful against you. And like that spit that just flew out of my mouth, I think that same thing happened in that moment. And I, I, it was all I could do not to stand up and say, no. And people are nodding their heads and like, you know, don't, so, can't have a good service if you don't get your toes stepped on. And then the, when the service was over, it was like, <laughs> same buzz. Everybody's like, hey, how you doing? You don't, you don't, you don't. And I thought, no, 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 no. Loving people well is the truth about who our Father, our good Father is. Separation is alive and well out there in the church, but it is being dismantled. You are not separated from the Father that loves you. I'm dreaming of a community that makes love our highest goal, a family that loves everyone the most. Back to that quote, and let's make this our permanent season not just Christmas time, but blessed is the season which engages the whole world in a conspiracy of love. I just I just want us to be involved in that conspiracy of love and meaning it because we know how loved we are. Father, we thank you for this time together. Um, we can't love without you. you you're you the ultimate source because you are love. But you have filled our hearts to overflowing with the love by the Holy Spirit, the love that surpasses understanding, the love that is unconditional, the love that will chase us down for all of eternity. Lord, let us grow in that realm of love this year. Let the mark of our true maturity be that we love everyone the most. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.